people need ordering principles. Twelve rules. Hello, welcome to Twelve Rules for What. My name is Sam, and I'm joined here by Alex. Hello, and uh, we are here today with Jock Paul Freeman. Um, who is uh, an anti-fascist and um, who's probably most famous perhaps for um, having spent 12 years in uh, Bulgarian jail for um, the death of Andrea Monov. Andrea Monov? Andrea Monov? I couldn't quite work it out from the uh, the documentary I watched. I don't even refer to him by name. He was just one of 15 who attacked me. So it could have been okay. it could have been any of them who died or all of them or mm-hmm. you know or none of them. I mean it was just a fifteen a gang of fifteen trying to kill me. Yeah. So this is of course a story you've you've had to tell you know a huge number of times. So of course you can keep it as uh, brief or take anything out that you'd like. But um, could you just recap for our listeners very briefly what happens that night? Yeah, extremely briefly, um, uh, a mate of mine um, left. A mate of mine left our group, and we went out looking for him. We were worried about him because, um, you know, neo Nazis target people who look different or speak English, um, especially late at night, especially in you know in the larger cities. Um, so, uh, we went out looking for him, and as we were looking for him, we saw fifteen, uh, a gang of fifteen neo Nazis. Um, Call uh, a call a Roma person the Bulgarian equivalent of in Bulgarian language. Then they uh, the Roma person tried to escape. Uh, they chased him down and then started beating him uh, viciously, um, stomping on his head, um, stomping on him, punching him. Uh, and then I went and I stopped them. And they the group of course attacked me. Uh, I then uh, took out a knife, uh, held it above my head and started shouting at them in Bulgarian language to go back. Um, and some of them were, and some of them, some of the others were trying to surround me. Uh, and eventually they did surround me. They, they, they uh, pelted me with a lot of cement. I was knocked out several times. Uh, and then um, uh, after, and then I, I woke up and I was being arrested by the police. And after I found out that one of the neo-Nazis had uh, been stabbed and died. And then um, I went to, I got convicted for premeditated murder for no reason. Um, and they convicted me to 20 years prison. Uh, and uh, I did 12 years. And then they kept me in, in Bulgaria illegally for another year on top of that, trying to put put me back into prison. That's it. So maybe let's talk about the kind of the two big contexts here. What, one of the contexts is anti-Roma violence in Bulgaria. And the other context, I guess, is um, neo-Nazism in in Bulgaria and um, the far right more generally in in, in that country. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us something about uh, the history of anti-Roma violence in particular, because you know, it's a very um, yeah kind of oppressed minority uh, in lots of countries, uh, but in particular in Bulgaria and other countries around there. So I was wondering if you could just kind of shed some light on what yeah. is the history of anti-Roma violence. Yeah, I don't I don't know the detailed history so much actually. Um, uh, but uh, but it it goes back hundreds of years. But the I mean the most recent famous or infamous the most infamous and and recent um, anti-Roma violence would have been during uh, World War Two, um, when Bulgaria was allied with uh, Nazi Germany, and they were implementing um, the Nazi decrees of um, ethnicity, which is also confusing as well because Bulgarians as an ethnic makeup. 
are um, either uh, Mon uh, you know Mongolian Mongolian uh, ethnicity uh, and or mixed with Slavic ethnicity, which the Nazis the Nazis officially hated both, but the um, the Bulgarian state uh, was enforcing Nazi racial laws other than for Slavic and and M Mongolian ethnicities. <laughs> so um, uh, Roma ethnicity and um, Jewish ethnicity were severely persecuted uh, in Bulgaria. Um, uh, they they had their um, you know any anyone who had land or businesses they were confiscated. They were pushed off into they were pushed into forced uh, ghettos, the same like uh, um, in Nazi Germany. Uh, and uh, although a lot of people were saved in in um, the land of where Bulgaria is today, a lot of people were saved from the gas chambers. Um, uh, although Bulgaria was going to send them, send everyone to the gas chambers, but the the order to do that was suspended. And then finally, um, before the order could be implemented, the the Soviet Union uh, in, invaded basically. But in the territories that Bulgaria did control, um, that they have subsequently lost, for example, around Skopje, uh, they did send a lot of uh, Roma and Jews to the to the gas chambers. And those territories were controlled by um, the Bulgarian state, uh, and so yeah, so there has been, um, there has been, I mean, uh, anti-Roma violence um, together with anti-Semitism has gone hand in hand for hundreds of years in Bulgaria, um, and it's it's a bit, it, it can be a bit like insane, but it can be insane with like mobs of. Um, ethnic Bulgarians, um, you know, going hunting for uh, Roma, like you see in the movies, like in, you know, in like Mississippi burning and things like this. Um, and, and it happens and then you get these, um, uh, these mass like racial, ra ra race wars, basically. Uh, but also a lot of the, a lot of the violence against Roma is, um, is not organized, but it's just then, um, it's uh, organized protection for the people who do um, who who do uh, attack or make violence against uh, Roma people. So, for example, a really good example: um, uh, a security guard for an abandoned warehouse. He brought his hunting shotgun from the village into the city where he was working, and there were about ten Roma children between the ages of fifteen and sixteen, and they were inside the warehouse where he was supposed to be guarding. And when he came, they heard him coming and they all started running and they, they, they left they left the property where he was guarding and he chased them out onto the street and then shot, he was about 30 meters behind them and he shot them in the back and he murdered one Roma child and he um, almost killed the second Roma child shooting them in the back. The Bulgarian courts ruled that it was not murder and not attempted murder, that it was manslaughter and uh, bodily harm uh, because the security guard was trying to show, in quotation marks, trying to show, trying to teach Roma uh, to respect, trying to teach Roma people to respect him by murdering them. And he, instead of getting, um, instead of getting, for example, a life sentence for literally murder, premeditated murder, shooting children in the back, instead of getting the har the harshest sentence, I mean, I can't imagine what sentence you could get. What, what, what crime would be worse than shooting children in the back? Um, they gave him uh, four years, four years uh, prison for the, 
for the murder, which they claim is not murder anymore. He was charged with murder, and the judges dropped the charge down to um, you know, a type of manslaughter, self-defense, even though the children were running away. He, there was no threat to his life. Um, there was another ethnic Bulgarian doctor whose house was being, his garage was being robbed, and the robber heard the doctor wake up, and he ran out onto the street and was running away. And the doctor came out with a firearm and shot him in the back and killed him. And he got a completely he got completely released without um, the the courts. Although although the, it hasn't finished, the courts have ruled that what he did was legal. So therefore, he has no criminal liability. And then you compare you compare those rulings with my situation, where fifteen ethnic Bulgarians are pelting me with um, cement uh, and trying to kill me. And after after they're they're beating me for like five six minutes, one of them accidentally dies um, by my hand. And and the prosecutor wanted life from me, and I ended up getting twenty. So yeah, there's a so it's not so much organized violence against Roma anymore. It's more individual acts of violence against Roma, which are then organizationally uh, covered up and supported by the institutions and by Bulgarian society at, at large. So we've had a we've had a couple of examples there of like the manifest corruption of Bul the Bulgarian court system. What what why why is this why is this like you, the sentence you received compared to the sentence of shooting children in the back with a shotgun is just so ludicrous? How come these sentences are being passed? Um, how come what happened to you happened? Um, yeah, it's a combination of things, but it's it's definitely racism, and it's also like a type of tribalism as well, where which is also racism, but it's also like this is my gang and that's the enemy gang and I'm going to help my gang because when I need help, they'll help me. So um, ethnic Bulgarians, uh, you know, they control parliament, they control, um, uh, they control courts, they control the police, they control the prosecutor's office. There's not a single um, ethnic Roma prosecutor. There's, um, as far as we know, there's not a single ethnic Roma judge. Um, so, you know, it's a, you know, it's a quid pro quo, uh, relationship between these people and so for me for example um, I didn't have any gang I didn't have any affiliation I was not in any tribe or ethnic group so basically even when ethnic even though some ethnic Bulgarians can be divided between political parties or businesses um, uh, and, and when they have a, and when they get into trouble they can use their people against the other people and, and you know whatever they can find a way to um, defend themselves in the courts or, you know, find someone to bribe or, or, or you know, find some support somewhere. When me being a complete foreigner, it was like um, all the tribes and all the groups in Bulgaria in power had nothing to lose by doing favors to the tribe that wanted me in prison for life. So it was, so it was like, you know, it's hard to explain. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, but it, it, basically my case became like a form of currency for a lot of people in Bulgaria, whereby if they, if they said, like if, if one judge ruled, uh, it, you know, that I was guilty, he, well, I mean, one judge did rule that I was guilty and then he got, he subsequently got promoted to the most lucrative and debatably the most powerful um position for judges in Bulgaria, which was the Supreme Administrative Court, which also does all the, um, it not only does administration for, for government administration, but also for private companies. So if you have, if you're arguing about, um, you know, what, what, what would you call that in English? Um, um, you know, like the business courts, 
business calls for for money. When you have contracts that are worth you know millions or billions of pounds or or euros or whatever you want to say, um, when and these contracts are being debated or argued, especially with government contracts, because the government has the biggest contracts basically in Bulgaria. So whenever um, whenever there is a company that's arguing if they did or didn't win a um, what's it called when companies auction themselves to win a contract a bid so when a company uh, so if a company doesn't win the bid for some government contract they can take it to court which then this 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 judge would then be in a position to influence being the head judge of 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 that court so it's not the most supreme court but it's the most it's the it's the most important court basically in terms of um uh you know judging you know million dollar contracts and things like this um so a lot of people used my case because they had nothing to lose this judge or this prosecutor or this cop or this prison official can make a problem for me and get brownie points with a really strong connected mafia group and then they're going to get promoted they're going to get so for example the prosecutor the pro- the prosecutor who 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 made the false indictment against me that I attacked 20 people for no reason and tried to kill them all for no reason. And and she wanted life sentence for me. Um, she actually had an investigation against her for her connection with organized crime. And during my trial, um, that investigation completely disappeared. And there's no public explanation as to why that investigation disappeared. And they actually arrested a uh, wanted suspect um, who was who was wanted for his connection with organized crime, and he was hiding in her apartment. And when they went to arrest him, they didn't know that he would be there. They they didn't know it was her apartment. They knew he was there. And so they, when they, you know, when they go into the apartment to arrest him, lo and behold, uh, she's his. Um, I think she was his uh, girlfriend, and um, and then she then helped him get out of. Um, uh, she helped him get out of remand prison as well. And then, and there was another investigation for that, which also disappeared. Um, so the, I mean, there was a forensic expert from my case. Um, he was a uh, massive alcoholic. One of the days he was supposed to come and testify in my in my trial, he crashed his car. He was so drunk he crashed his car, basically outside the courthouse on his way to testify in my case. And then he grabbed and then he grabbed a prostitute who was working on the street. And and tried to pay her to say that she was driving his car so that she would be punished for for crashing the car and not him. And then and we don't know exactly what happened after that. Whether the police just didn't accept that as an explanation, or whether the whether the woman um, uh, eventually told the truth and said she wasn't the driver, he was. We don't know. We know that he did try to pay um, a prostitute for to take the 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 the, the, the guilt for driving the car. Um, and so this is the guy who, and then he gave false, he also, his testimony was not so important, um, but he did lie in court and the investigations, as far as we know, against him also disappeared. Also, he was the expert, that same expert was also found stealing body parts and selling them to American, um, companies, uh, I think for medical research. So he was stealing body parts from cadavers and then selling them basically, on the black market for a lot of money. Uh, and there was an investigation against him for doing that. And that also disappeared. As far as we know, um, he was never, I mean, he was never uh, put in prison for any of these crimes. So, um, 
and so basically this is one this is one of several explanations one there are multiple factors so the fact that people were using my case with nothing to lose it was just like my case was like printing money for a lot of people like all this expert has to do is lie about Jock Paul Freeman. He's gonna act, he's gonna have absolutely no repercussions. Um, no one's gonna arrest him or charge him for perjury. Um, I don't have any gang or um, I don't have a group that can make life hard for him. I don't have a political party that will go into power next year and fire him from his work or anything like that. So he has absolutely so so these people they have absolutely nothing to lose by um, by doing these favors to my detriment they just have everything to gain um so that's one factor racism is also a massive factor multiple levels of racism so there's racism for the for for racism against roma is a factor absolutely um so one of the judges that was interviewed by an investigative journalist told one of the judges told her that um she doesn't believe my story because a white person would never go to defend a black person um there was another um uh there was another there there was also another um racial element that um uh i was seen as being um uh, uh, uh anglo-saxon and actually um this is a thing in 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 you know for bulgarian racists they see that anyone who speaks english is um according to them anglo-saxon so they so that was the first time in my life that i got a, a, an ethnic label myself um, and, uh, and so, so there was racism against me, the alleged Anglo-Saxon, um, uh, racism against the person I went to help and save, um, racism that they don't believe that, uh, a one person would go to do this just to help a Roma person against 15 neo-Nazis. Um, yeah, so they're, 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 they're the two, and then there's, there's the third major factor which was the media which was completely manipulated it wasn't manipulated the media itself was the manipulation the media um was told what to write they all the journalists for basically my whole 12 years of prison um just stuck to the they completely censored the truth they they only published the 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 side of the prosecutor's office which was completely insane and that's basically how the media and how the family of the deceased neo-Nazi—that's how they—that—that they, that was the, basically their narrative for uh, 13 years. Even to this day, they—they they still trying to cling on to that narrative. But it's basically been destroyed since I could learn Bulgarian language and actually speak and explain what happened. And um, and also since the video footage came out in 2019. Um, but the narrative that they that the media stuck to was that I was some type of crazy person um, who was hunting Bulgarians and just wanted to kill Bulgarians for fun. Uh, and I mean, you know, I sat in prison for 12 years thinking, how can 6 million people in Bulgaria be so stupid as to believe such a story? Um, but it worked and it, it wasn't until um, I started doing more interviews in Bulgarian language when I was released from prison. Um, but also until the video came out that shows that there was a fight between me and them. And then everybody, everybody who saw that video starts going, well, hang on. We were told that uh, there was no fight, there was no violence, and that Jock just uh, started uh, trying to kill everyone. And now we can see this video. We can see the, the gang of 15 attacking the Roma person, uh, attacking me, um, and, uh, and that completely debunks 
the entire false narrative. And then that, that changed everything. So yeah, it's the, the, there were the three factors, the, the media manipulating public opinion um, and uh, uh, the, the corrupt officials using my case as a form of um, currency to, to get ahead in their careers or, or to cover up crimes committed by them. Um, and then thirdly, there's that whole tribal racial thing where I'm uh, basically, uh, uh, he's the foreigner and even the, the, the different factions within the Bulgarian community would basically allied they would ally against me because, yeah, so I was the common enemy for, for everyone, even though they hated each other. So, yeah, so that's, that's it. <laughs> you've, um, you've spoke about the 12 years you were in prison and, and learning Bulgarian, which is an incredible, I, I, I think learning language is very hard. So, you know, I'm very impressed by that. Um, well, it's hard. It's probably quite hard to sum up 12 years of your life. It's like a, put a particular narrative on it necessarily, but, how did your experience of prison, how did that affect your politics? How did it affect your kind of outlook? I know that you founded the Bulgarian Prisoners Association, which is, you know, um, something you're still involved with, I, I think. Yeah. And so I wonder how, how, all, how, all, how all that came together. Uh, Politics-wise, not much. I didn't change so much whilst I was in prison. But um, I guess, um, I guess... I don't, I don't really remember how I was so much before prison, but for example, in terms of just having to work with people who might not have the same political um, ideas about having to work with those people, literally because there's nobody else. <laughs> so, um, uh, so a lot of right-wing liberals were actually um, more active in supporting the Prisoners Association, um, whereas not a single left you know alleged left-wing group in bulgaria supported us supported me and they still don't support us or me i don't need support anymore i'm out but um there's not a single left um there's not a single left group there's not a single person there's not a single organization that calls themselves anti-fascist or anti-capitalist in bulgaria that supports the bulgarian prisoners association or that supports prisoners at all in any shape or form so um, the majority of support we got were from actually from uh, right-wing liberals. Um, and so I guess, uh, I mean, I don't remember that happening before prison. <laughs> um, or maybe I don't remember that happening before I was living in Bulgaria. Uh, so that's probably one thing that changes that um, it was kind of like, let, you know, let, let the, let the politic, let the philosophy, let that kind of, let push that to the side and let's just be practical um, you know, we've got human rights, general human rights issues. We've got major problems, um, you know, prisoners being tortured, um, prisoners being um, beaten. Um, and we need to stop this. We need to support these people. How are we going to do it? Um, so maybe in that regard, um, uh, I became more practical and more maybe a, a bit more um, nuanced as opposed to being just black, or, black and white. Like, if I've, you know, if they're not in my ideological bubble, I'm not going to speak with them. I didn't have a choice. If I, if I was only working with people who were left-wing, I wouldn't work. I wouldn't have been able to work with anybody in Bulgaria, basically. Um, so yeah, so that's probably one thing that changed. I mean, and, and another thing also is um, not being complacent, not, not allowing people to make their, you know, I mean, it sounds bad, but not allowing, um, basically stay, sticking with sticking with people um so there are a lot of people who were victimized in prison and then 
um, if you left them alone and you didn't stick with them and continue with that emotional support, um, the mafia guys would get involved and then manipulate them to withdraw their complaints or, uh, or to lie or to say something else, you know? So, um, whereas before prison, um, and actually in my first couple of years in prison, I would step back and let, and I would tell person, I would tell a person, you can, you can choose this way, um, which is the right way, but I wouldn't say that. I could say, I would say you can choose this way and this will happen, or you can choose that way and that will happen. And, but you decide. Um, and then as years went on, I just said, um, this is the shit way and this is the, the right way. And you, you, you just got to do the right way because things will get worse if you, if you choose the wrong way. Um, and then, um, and I think that's, you know, so instead of being, so in that regard, I definitely, um, I guess I lost some of my libertarian beliefs and became more, I guess, I don't know, I don't want to be rude, but I guess more practical. What kinds of uh, issues are the prisoners facing? Uh, abuse by the prison guards and so on? Yeah, torture. I mean, um, yeah, torture. Oh, it, it goes on. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely like, I mean, I'm in by no way, shape or means am I saying that Bulgaria is the worst country in the world. Um, uh, it, it, I mean, I, sometimes I, you know, I get, I get messages from Bulgarians saying, well, do you know that in Somalia it's like this? And it's like, well, no, I don't because I haven't been to a Somalian prison. I'm talking about Bulgarian prison because that's where I've been. It's not because I hate Bulgaria. It's, it's not because uh Somalia is better than Bulgaria. It's just that's I'm speaking about my experiences. My experiences are in Bulgaria. So um uh so yeah so I mean for example like Norway gave a lot of funds to the Bulgarian prison prisons and then they use that they they use that support from Norway, you know, in, in quotation marks support. They bought um elect electrical taser guns and electrical taser wands. They're like ele um ele uh, you know shock buttons. And um, they gave them to the guards without any training, without any expertise, without any regulation. And the guards just started electrocuting prisoners for fun. Um, I, I, like a, a prisoner would walk past the guard cleaning, you know, with a broom, a, a, a dustpan and broom. And the guard would just be bored and turn around and electrocute him from behind. Um, and oh, he's laughing. And the prisoner is also laughing like, ah, you know, like, um, and the guard thinks it's a joke. And he's just electrocuted someone. Um, and so, I mean, like, yeah, the problems, I mean, the problems are, there's many problems. I mean, there's torture, um, abuse of power, corruption. Um, the, the prison directors are extremely corrupt. They're taking, and part of the corruption is like some people will think, oh, that's really good. You can pay to go free. But the, the other side of the sword is that um, to make the price of payment go up, to go free, it means that they don't let anyone go free so that, that there's more demand. So if a prisoner needs to pay to have their security classification security classification drop, what they're doing now is um, basically not allowing anyone security classification, not anyone, like I'm paraphrasing, but they're reducing the amount of people that they do approve for security classification um, to be dropped. They reduce that so then the demand comes up, the money comes up. So basically, um, it's basically punishing poor poor prisoners, prisoners who don't have money, can't pay for actually what they are entitled to under the law. Um, so, um, yeah, so that basically means you stay in prison longer. If you don't have, it, it's, it's a fact. If you don't have money, you stay in prison longer in Bulgaria. Um, access to work, uh, only 10% of prisoners in Bulgaria have access to work. And, um, uh, that is, uh, two days of work is considered three days off your sentence. 
So um, that's also a way you can reduce your sentence. And again, there are prisoners who are paying prison directors. They have to pay to get work. If you don't pay, you don't get work. You sit in your cell all day, you go crazy, and you can't reduce your sentence. And, and we're talking about unpaid work as well. Prisoners are paying to get unpaid work, so as, mostly so as to reduce their sentence. Um, and then secondly, just to get out of the monotony of sitting in your cell all day, um, there are still some prison. There are many. There are still some prisons that don't have drinking water in the uh, through throughout the majority of the day. So you get an hour of water at uh, in, uh, around breakfast. You get an hour at twelve o'clock. You get an hour at four o'clock, and then from five o'clock until the next morning, there's no water. The water is cut off, um, and that's because the government has stolen so much money um, that they haven't fixed the water pumps that pump the water to the to the prison. Um, yeah, so. There's material conditions, which are a problem. All the prisons are full of bed bugs, which is probably the worst problem right now in Bulgarian prisons. It's, it's literally, it should be classed as a form of torture um, because you can't sleep, you can't lie down, you can't do anything. You're, you're constantly being eaten um, by bed bugs and your whole body swells up. The majority of people are highly allergic to bed bugs and it, it, it's until you can't understand the pain and psychological torment of living with bed bugs until it happens to you. And then you go, oh my God, everything that was said about them is so true. Because you can't sleep every five seconds. If a little hair moves on your arm, if, if a hair moves on your arm, you think it's a bed bug and you, you wake up in a panic trying to kill it. And it, there's, there could be something there that could, it might not be, it might just be a hair, it could be a bed bug, you don't know. Um, uh, so yeah, so yeah, corruption, material conditions, um, and torture are uh the three biggest problems oh i mean like there's no social there's no re-socialization there's no education um there's no programs to teach people anything to teach prisoners a trade when you leave prison you basically they just open the door and they leave you on the street they don't even give you money for a bus ticket home it, that's if you have a home there um i mean you've got you're allowed two 40 minute visits twice a month behind glass so, or if you, you know, your partners, wives, husbands, girlfriends, boyfriends, they all leave you, family can't come anymore. They have, to, families have to wait uh, sometimes up to five hours to get into a visit. But the, the average waiting time, I would say, is about three hours and it's outside. So if it's snowing and you come with children, um, you're in the snow for three hours. If it's summer day, you're standing up. There's nowhere to sit. There's no benches, no chairs. You're completely, you're, you're left outside on the street for, uh, you know, between three and five hours for a 40 minute visit. So prisoners leave prison completely disconnected from their families, from their friends, their wives and, and husbands divorce them. Um, they become estranged from their children, um, from their neighbors. They lose their work. When they leave, when you leave prison in Bulgaria, you definitely leave with less than when you came in. Um, and yeah, and you're just left on the street. I mean, there was a case recently where um, one guy, uh, and I think he's a bit mentally ill. The the, the court gave him um, the court gave him home arrest, but he had been transferred from the city where he lived. Um, or no, yeah, I think he'd been transferred from well, whatever. He was he was in a prison. He was in a remand prison in Sofia, and he lived in. Um, his his residency for home arrest was in a different city in Pazajik and they released him from the prison in Sofia and he had no money to get back to the home where he was supposed to be in home arrest. And then they re-arrested him again and said, you violated your home arrest um, whilst having made no effort to even drive him home to where his home arrest is. He never got there. They released him from prison on the street with no money, no credit card, no debit card, no bus ticket, nothing. 
and uh, and then they rearrested him and said you've absconded from you ha- uh, you've you've never reported for your home arrest. Well, he never had a way of getting there. Um, so yeah, so like probably for the majority of prisoners when they leave prison, the the the, the first day they commit their first. The, the first day they leave prison is probably the first day they violate the law by probably getting on a bus um, without buying a ticket. <laughs> so, I mean, like, you're, it, it's just like the prisoners in Bulgaria are, are set up um, to, um, to violate the law. It, it, the whole system is, um, in Bulgaria, as it is now, is designed to keep prisoners um, in what in Bulgaria is called constant, a state of constant violation. Um, and that's uh, actually um, uh, an institutional um, saying in Bulgaria. Um, when you keep someone in constant violation, you never, and, and part, part of that, so what the, the state puts you into a position, the government, the state puts you into a position where you, no matter what you do, you will always be in a position that you are violating the law in some way. Um, and part of that is by not informing you of the law. like. It it was, it was about five years. I was in prison for five years before I got a copy of the of the of the prison rules, of the of the of the laws that actually um, uh, regulate the prison that I was in. Five years before I could see the rules, the laws, um, and and another way is is like for example, you know, kicking people out of prison without any support. It's like the it's like they it's like the the prison authorities. It's like they want people to commit crime basically you mentioned it so there was there was an there was an australian uh documentary made about your case um and towards the end of that you have this line in a kind of a little edited bit where you say that there is a fascist party which controls the prison system in bulgaria and this isn't kind of taken up by the people in the uh, the um, documentary. So I, was, I kind of wonder if you could expand on what you mean. Like, what what are the connections with the Bulgarian far right in the control of the prison system? Uh, so the VMRO were in um, government coalition government from 2017 until 2021, um, and part of the coalition agreement was that if the um, if the minister was from the so the, the the larger party in the coalition government was called GERB, ran by Boyko Borisov, which is um, a member of the European People's Party, which is the European Union uh, formation of their parties. So, um, and that's basically the powerhouse of that European People's Party (EPP). The powerhouse of that is the Angela Merkel um, Christian Democratic Party. Just to put it in context, because it, this is it's really shameful. Um, you know, you know the. I mean, the you know the the German government has done a lot of bullshit, but they definitely need to be more associated with the mafia that they've been sponsoring in um, Eastern Europe, for example, like the um, Boyko Borisov GERB party. So anyway, um, the uh, GERB uh, were the larger party, um, and they made a coalition government with the smaller with a smaller coalition of fascist parties, which was actually VMRO, Attacker, and NFSB, um, but the, the largest party and the most active was the VMRO. And the uh, agreements that they had was that if the minister, or if the minister was from the EPP party, from the Liberals, um, then then the vice minister would be from the uh, VMRO, for, from the fascists. So. Um, what happened was was that instead of the minister choosing his own vice minister, 
which is normally what happens. So therefore, the vice minister is subordinate to the minister and responsible to him or her. What happened was is that you had basically two governments running at the same time, parallel, not even parallel to each other, but at the same time. Um, so uh, basically what it became was a de facto two ministers of, two, minist two ministry of justice, two ministry of education, two ministry of health, basically the, the way. So um, you could get one order from the ministry of justice telling you to go left. And then the next day you could get a, an order from the vice minister who's from the, who was from the fascist party to go right. And, um, and the, the, if the minister, for, so for the justice, let's be more specific to the justice system. The, the, the minister of justice was from the EPP, from the GERB party. Um, and the vice minister, one of the vice ministers was from the fascist party who, and the vice, that the vice minister of justice, the position was responsible specifically for prisons. Whereas the minister was responsible for the vice minister, <laughs> um, and also for the 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 the, the courts, uh, for the for the so for the judiciary. So, um, uh, but what happened was that the what the fa whatever the fascists were doing, the minister from EPP he couldn't complain to the vice to his vice minister like it was a man. So he couldn't complain to his vice minister. He would have to complain to his party boss. So he would have to complain to his party, and then that complaint would go all the way up to the top of their party, then be given to the top of the fascist party, and then come all the way down the fascist party to get to the vice minister. So basically what it meant was that there were two governments running Bulgaria for four years, one by the EPP and one by the fascists. Um, and the fascists were highly active in helping their people get out of prison, um, uh, protecting their people, you know, keeping their people out of prison. Although a lot of fascists went to prison in the last four years, which is also really interesting. And I think that was, I think in a way that was the um, the liberal EPP attempt at um, reducing their uh, competition. So um, the fascists would have gotten a lot of voting base from the from the liberals over to the fascists and by by i mean they put a lot of fascists like when i mean a lot i mean like five or six um high-ranking fascists were arrested um and charged with embezzlement or other forms of corruption um and there was a there was actually one moment in time when i was getting a bit worried because it would mean that um if the if they joined the prisoners association what would it mean for us <laughs> um <laughs> yeah well, did they I hope they didn't. Well, well, none of them, none of them got moved over into the general prison population before I went free. So they were, they I were see. still mostly yeah. held in remand. Um, but I started getting, I started meeting prisoners who had been in the same cells with these, with these fascist, uh, uh, arrested fascists who were arrested for embezzlement and things like this and money laundering and whatever, um, corruption, corruption and embezzlement. It was mostly, um, bribes and embezzlement. Um, yeah, but anyway, they, they were, um, the, the fascist control of the prisons was crazy. They basically put Bulgarian prisons back at least 50 years, if not 70 years, um, into the past. They fired, they fired all the modern prison staff and reinstated the, um, the outdated prison staff 
who, like, I mean, there's no place for them in anywhere in the world anymore. Um, uh, I mean, it's hard to, it, you need to explain so much context to understand, but like, um, and, and like people will say that they're communist or socialist or whatever, but um, the entire social umbrella, the entire social net, the entire social system around the prison system that existed pre-1989 doesn't exist anymore. So um, before, so under the rule of the Bulgarian Communist Party, prisoners, um, uh, prisoners left prison with savings, so money that, money that they had earned during their work. Um, all prisoners were paid. Um, all prisoners had access to work. Um, when prisoners left prison, they left with money. They were immediately given um, a place to stay. They were immediately given a place to work. Um, actually, you would, you know, I mean, and it, I mean, like, I'm not saying it was a paradise. It, it, you know, there were situations where people didn't want to work and they were forced to work. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, they, they, there was this whole social system around prisoners being in prison and leaving prison, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, um, there's no work for prisoners. Prisoners who do work don't get paid, most of them. Uh, and when they leave prison, there's absolutely no support for them. So what you get is you get these um, authoritarian, uh, allegedly authoritarian. They're not authoritarian. They're completely corrupt and backwards. There's no discipline. But they present themselves as being like hard, hard men from, you know, from the 70s and 80s. And uh, they're running these prisons without any... Um, without any... I don't know what to say without any view towards anything socially progressive. Um, so they, they, they stop any privilege system. They stop any reward system for prisoners and they just focus on um, punishments. Uh, and of course it's only punishments for people who cannot pay them. So in a way they've, um, they've turned in a way the fascist turned the prisons back into you know, a, a type of uh, private, like a private enterprise, basically. Um, uh, but where, uh, but but where you have to pay for what you should be receiving for free from the state anyway. For example, like rehabilitation programs. Um, every everything has to be paid for. If you're not paying, you're not getting your you're not getting treated equal to other people. Um, yeah, and they they just re they, the fascist party they just brought back in so so many corrupt people who had actually been moved away or dismissed or pushed aside by um you know four or five years of reform reform before they got into power um and i think that i mean the damage they've done it'll take they would they were in government for four years and the damage they've done it'll take 20 30 years to undo the damage that they did it it's just catastrophic um uh in terms of the 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 intelligent people that they fired for fake reasons um, and the idiots that they promoted. Just coming back to you in your case, you were granted parole in, in September 2019. And considering what you've just said about um, the VMRA and the fascist parties being in control of the prison system, it seems, I mean, it's really good that it happened, obviously, but it seems almost inexplicable that you were given parole do you have any insight into why why this was? Yeah, for two reasons. One, because um, a lot of people don't understand how the Bulgarian 
um, early release system works. So, and, and I think early release is more appropriate to say for Bulgaria. So parole, when people, and this was a constant um, cause of miscommunication, especially with the Australian, well, Australian, but English speaking media, because parole comes with uh, uh, an expectation that you, ha that you have some obligations towards the state in terms of probation, in terms of reporting, in terms of drug tests, in terms of where you live and where you work. Um, I was given early release, meaning I had absolutely no obligations to the state other than I cannot make another crime, um, which everybody has the same obligation anyway. Um, so, uh, so, it, uh, so I didn't have to sign anywhere. I didn't have to be at a certain address. I didn't have to log in with the police. I didn't have to do drug or alcohol tests. Um, I was given early release. And the second thing, the second important thing is that the early release is given by judges. It's not given by prisons anymore. That law changed in 2007. It, it actually cha changed like three or four months before the fascists came into government that um, prison, prisoners can give requests straight to judges to be granted early release. Whereas pre-2017, um, only the director of a prison can give a request in your name, basically, to a judge, and then a judge can approve it. So prison, prison um, directors basically had a veto on who could and couldn't see a judge, who, couldn't, who did and didn't have access to a trial, to an early release hearing in front of a judge, though. So unlike other countries, early release is not given by prison officials. Um, it was always given by judges. But previous to the reforms, only prison directors could give that request to a judge. Whereas in 2017, now of course that was a massive, um, that was a massive uh, excuse of corruption for corruption in the prison system. Um, if if you can't give a request to the judge yourself to go free, um, you have to pay thousands and thousands of um, you know of lever, you know, a couple of thousand euros you would have to pay to a director to propose your um, to propose to give your name to a judge to then review if you will go so it's not even guaranteed unless you can uh, bribe the judge as well um so yeah so so when that law was changed um the prisons went the the the, the prison staff went crazy because that was their biggest form of revenue was um kidnapping people and not giving their names um to a for an early release hearing in front of a in in front of a court um, and when they lost that, they then they started focusing on blackmailing prisoners uh, to have access to work and then blackmailing prisoners to have access to uh, extended visits or to day releases or to the, so the the other the other things that remained in their um, totality in in their total control. Um, so and the other the other in connection to what you said, the irony is that I I one of the reasons why I probably what probably helped me go free was the corruption from the VMRO in terms of the judges who, who decided to release me, they could see in my case file the illegal actions and the corruption coming from the VMRO orders from above. So these judges are very famous anti-corruption judges, the ones who, who um, actually uh, um, said I could go free. They are famous anti-corruption judges, uh, and they could see how, you know, Five years before the fascists get into power, I don't have a single punishment. And then the fascists get into power, and in one week, I have three punishments. Uh, and they were all for fake excuses. They were all fake punishments, although they, I appealed them in court, and I lost the appeals. And so the fascists, the fascists are claiming that they're legitimate. But one of the punishments um, was for the logo of the association, 
uh, and the um, uh, the fascist uh, vice minister of justice uh, himself from the VMRO party, he ordered the director of the prison to punish me for to punish me for this. Um, uh, and the only, I mean, no, they, 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 I had not, even if these stickers with the logo of the association were mine, which they weren't, even if I had, even if they were mine, they couldn't find a single law that I had violated by having these stickers. And so they used a law, um, they used an article from the law that says prisoners cannot display, um, symbols of, uh, hate towards ethnic minorities, ethnic or religious minorities. Um, and they said that uh, my stickers were somehow a hate crime, a racist hate crime. And um, of, of, of course, they... Um, against who? Of course. Against who? Did they against, know who? Against, or did they just um, say? No, they didn't say against who at all. Um, they didn't say against who. It, they just said that um, my... Like, I'm paraphrasing. Um, but they just said that my stickers that I had made were racist. And uh, a, a friend of mine from the Bulgarian Helsinki Committee... He's probably the um, most um, well-known um, and constant activist from from the '90s in Bulgaria, um, and me and him were laughing because he said, and he said to me, uh, "Jock, not only are you the probably the only person, you are the only person in Bulgarian prison history to be punished for racism, um, uh, but not only are, are you the only person to be punished according to this article, but you are even in prison for being anti-racist, and now you're the only." person being punished for being racist um and so like there are you should, you should, you should just make your mind up jock are you, are you racist are you anti-racist <laughs> come on man <laughs> well i'm racist against nazis so there you go um, <laughs> uh, we all are. so um yeah what was so what was funny about that was i mean like there are neo-nazis in prison who um yeah, of course, they've got swastika tattoos. There's not so much you can do about that. But they're wearing swastika T-shirts. Any guard or any prison uh, official can say, take off that swastika T-shirt. It's, it's racist. You're not allowed it. But they don't. Um, there are um, neo-Nazis who have um, Nazi, Nazi and fascist racist stickers, uh, T-shirts, clothes. Um, and and uh, none of them, not a single one of them has ever been uh, punished or sanctioned in any way, shape, or form, and the but the fascists ordered that I be punished for um, for the stickers of the association, even though they couldn't prove one that they were even mine to begin with, and two what laws I had even violated, even if they were mine, and they weren't mine, by the way. Um, uh, I didn't uh, I didn't give them to anyone, uh, and they 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 brought some fake witnesses and they changed dates and and that's it. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't remember what the what the question was. What, what, what I did want to say was that um, one of the corrupt, you know, it's like a magic circle in Bulgaria. They call them magic circles, you know, like a catch twenty two, like a repeating thing. Um, but what what was happening was so the fascists, so the the VMRO fascist party controlled prisons in the form of the vice minister of justice. He would pick up the phone, call staff on their private phone numbers in the prison. He wouldn't call them on their, um, on their work phones. He'd call them on their private numbers. And then he'd tell them, he'd give them a verbal order. You're going to do this, 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 this. Then the, the members of staff would do it. So, for example, uh, the fascist 
the, the, the fascists in the Ministry of Justice, they call the, the prison director in Sofia prison and they say, write in your report that Jock is a really aggressive and bad guy. So then the prison director writes Jock is a really aggressive and bad guy. Then that, that prison director gives it to the court and says, look, Jock should not have early release. He's an aggressive and bad guy. Then I prove the opposite. I prove that this is a fake report. I give contrary evidence, and actually evidence in my defense was also stupidly given by the director himself, which helped me go free. He, he, he printed out newspaper articles with, with titles like uh, Jock Paul Freeman fights corruption in Bulgarian prisons, and he literally gave it to the court thinking that this was proof of something bad. And then the judges who released me said, hang on, actually, we think that's good. But, but then, so when the judges did release me and give me parole, then the fascists, the fascist party organized a protest outside the court and they said, we're making this protest because we have a report from the prison director that says that Jock is bad. But actually, and, and they say, based on, according to this report written by the prison director, Jock is bad, why did the judges release him? Now we're going to make a protest and we're going to threaten and give death threats to the judges. But that report was also written by the same fascists because they were the ones who had ordered the director to write the report in that way. So that's the way they try to um, they try to legitimize their corruption and their abuse of power. They they give verbal orders so that there's no paper trail, and then they use the orders that they have actually. Um, I, I keep want to speak in the Bulgarian language. I've forgotten the the English version. Um, but uh, like like a con they have contracted. So bas basically, they have um, ordered. They have contracted. Um, this document to be made that says that I'm a bad guy and then then they use this then they claim to use this as the evidence to prove that I'm a bad guy and say look what I have received from the director of the prison Jock is a bad guy based on this now we're making a protest because of, clearly he's a bad guy but that's the same people who created the document as the same people who received it as the same people who organized the protests when I went when I went free and the same people claiming that I hadn't uh, that I was still a threat to society the same people who wrote that I was a threat to society are the same people who ordered it to be it's you know and it's a like a paragraph in it's not a paragraph 22 exactly it's just that they it's how they try to legitimize themselves by by um, giving illegal fake verbal orders and then receiving things supposedly looking like it's coming from some um, independent structure when of course it's nothing i mean i personally saw the fa the, the fascist um vice minister of justice calling um uh calling staff in the prison on their private phones i was there when they received the calls um <laughs> so yeah you know you're out you're you were you were held in bulgaria for about a year i, th I think um but you finally got a passport you got you got out to um out of the country no i got the passport as soon as i left prison no that was another lie <laughs> that was another lie spread by the head prosecutor's office so um uh, almost the same day i left prison the australian embassy um came to uh bulgaria and with my passport ready to go and um my family bought me tickets back to australia and uh and the every morning the head prosecutor's office spokesperson every morning there was a press conference about me and my case and my specific situation they were doing a press conference like it was like a daily event and um right from the beginning they were lying jock is free to go we can't stop him as the minute he gets a passport he's gone 
Um, we're just he's we're just waiting for him to get a passport, and then he's free to leave the country. Um, but he hasn't got his passport yet, so that's why he's in immigration prison. I had a passport basically on the first. I had a passport um, uh, two days after I was put into immigration prison. Uh, uh, the Australian embassy had uh, printed and made a, a passport for me to travel with, um, and uh, and then that was on a that was on a uh, Sunday or a Monday, and then for the rest of for the next. For the next uh, fifty, for the next, I was there for about twenty-five days, I think, or one month. For the next twenty days, the head prosecutor's office um, just repeated the same lie that I didn't have travel documents, so therefore I can't leave the country. Um, and then eventually, what, hap- what what happened was I had to put a photo of myself holding the passport open in the immigration prison, and I had to put it on Facebook um, to be able to show people that the prosecutor's office is lying, and actually. Some people from the Australian embassy, they they told me, uh, Jock, actually, you know, they, they, they're not allowed to tell me what to do, but they said, we're not allowed to speak with uh, media. We can't confirm that you have a passport, but you know, it would be nice if people stop blaming us that you're still here and that people know that you actually do have a passport. And, you know, I understood what he meant. And, and that's one of the reasons why I put the, the passport out on Facebook, because the, the Bulgarian state just was lying. So I had a passport right from the very beginning. I actually had a passport when I left prison. Um, but the again, the Bulgarian authorities were lying to everyone that the passport was missing or disappeared. Um, and I had a new passport two days after I was released from prison and put in immigration prison. Uh, I was put in immigration prison illegally as well, without any documentation or any orders or anything like that. That's when you see me leaving the prison with my hands tied with rope. Um, and then... And then actually, after I put after I put the photo of myself with the passport on Facebook, after after I had the passport, then the the police came, raided my cell in the immigration prison, and then then they took the passport again. Well, not again; they never had it to begin with. Then they took it so that I couldn't have it, and then my lawyer won a case against them, and then they had to return the passport in um, around February two thousand and twenty. So I didn't have a passport for about four months. And then in February 2020, they, they were forced to return it because they had illegally taken it. Um, uh, but the whole reason why I wasn't allowed to leave the country was because, the again, the fascists controlled the Ministry of Interior, which has the computers of, which have the immigration computers under their control, um, which then um, which then has the list of people who can and cannot leave the country. So my name was on the, the list of people who cannot leave the country, even though it never should have been there to begin with. Um, and then uh, and my name was on that list based on the fact that I had a conviction, but um, with early release that conviction is stopped. So therefore, I don't have a con- I don't I'm not I'm not I'm not serving. A prison sentence. So therefore, my name should have automatically have been taken off that list. But it took us another. It took us about a year um, of litigation to ex- ex- exhaust all the appeals to the High Court of uh, Bulgaria and to and to and to show categorically that the 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 state, the Ministry of Interior, which was again controlled by. I mean, it was controlled both by the liberals and by the fascists. Um, but it was definitely the fascists who were pushing for this. I think the liberals just wanted 
wanted me to get the hell out of the country and 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 stop being a pain in their ass for no no political benefit they were not getting any um brownie points uh for the problems that they were receiving it was the fascists who were trying to use me to get public brownie points for for for, for what they were doing uh against me um but it took it wasn't until the end of 2020 that we were able to exhaust all the appeals and get a final sent a final court decision saying that the Ministry of Interior has to take my name off the uh, travel ban list. Uh, it, it, so basically, they held me illegally. Not basically. This is what they held me illegally from the time when I was released from prison up until late 2020. When we think about the far right, normally um, in on this podcast, we're normally thinking about um, the Australian or the British or the American far right, um, because that's where we speak the language of. Um, and of course, there are other parts in French far right and so on. Um, and what that means is that we're normally thinking about the far right against the kind of a backdrop of liberalism, a kind of a, a backdrop of like kind of normal kind of capitalist liberalism. Yeah. Um, that's obviously not the case in Bulgaria, right? Like, so there's a there's a period of kind of um, yeah. neutrality, at the beginning <laughs> of first, sorry, Second World War. And then there's the period of um, uh, a collaboration with the, the the Nazis, and then there's um, the Soviet Union obviously invades at the end of the Second World War, and then there's um, you know the Soviet period, and then there's the like post-Soviet period. So it's a very, very, very different history from from Britain. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so I'm kind of wondering, like, how do you can you help us understand these fascist parties in that history? What are, are they reacting against the Soviet period? Are they what, how how does how do all these parts come together historically? Do you think? well, yeah, no, it gets it gets so complicated, and we don't really have enough time to get into this, but. Um, a lot of the basically the the fascist parties today they are almost all of them um sympathetic to um the Bulgarian Communist Party they're actually sympathetic um to the Bulgarian Communist Party and um in a way they are um a reaction to um liberalism so basically it's kind of like um you know the Bulgarian Communist Party has failed so we're not going to we're not going to discuss um socialism or or communism or stalinism or whatever whatever we're not going to we're not going to consider that as a as a um ideology um we need something new uh but look at look at what we had to look at what we have to replace uh the Bulgarian, Bulgarian communist party liberalism from from you know from the 19 1990s up until now um all of the all of the people's wealth that, that was held in collective in the state all the state, you know, I mean, when we say, when we say, when we say, when we say state assets and state wealth um, in the English speaking world, you know, we're, we're thinking about like a rich government and then, and then we kind of like, we, we kind of don't like the sound of that. But when, when you start talking about farms, you know, cooperative farms, farming, um, agriculture, um, you know, energy, um, you know, uh, tobacco, alcohol, food, when you start talking about those things that they were once upon a time owned by taxpayers in the form in, in, in that they were owned by the state, as in owned by the whole country, and then you sell that farm for, uh, for you know, you sell that farm for a dollar, and then you sell that tobacco company for $5, and then you sell the, the energy company for $7, and, and, and then, ba so basically, um, the push from uh, Western Europe, from the liberal, from the push from liberals to liberalize the markets in Bulgaria, basically meant, um, you know, mass corruption, mass embezzlement, and basically um, everything that Bulgarian people had worked their society up to and worked their 
community is up to was basically stolen from them and sold to um, what what people now call oligarchs. They're not really oligarchs. They're just capitalists who um, who bought them, uh, bought, who bought these uh, former state companies and corporations and cooperatives. Um, and so the fascists are in a way, um, uh, they're in a way <laughs> um, sympathetic to sympathetic towards um, some of the more right-wing policies of, of the Stalinist era. So um, uh, homophobic, um, uh, racist. Uh, so for example, Bulgarian Communist Party um, was extremely racist towards ethnic Turkish uh, within the Bulgarian territory. There was a form of cultural genocide. Um, there was violence as well. Um, you know, uh, it's it's a bit famous. It's relatively famous that a, a large percentage of ethnic Turkish people who had lived in Bulgaria for hundreds of years um, were forced to leave to go to Turkey when they refused to change their names to um, judo Christian judo Christian names or Bulgarian names. Um, I just think it's ironic because the Bulgarian Communist Party said we don't want anyone with Turkish names living in Bulgaria, so we're going to make you pick. Bulgarian names with quotation marks, but like probably the majority of Bulgarian names are, are Jewish Christian names. They're not even Bulgarian to begin with, you know, and the Bulgarian Communist Party is supposed to be anti-religion and pro-secularism, um, pro-secular um, government. But um, so the fa fascist parties today, it gets this is why it gets complicated. So they're kind of like, they're sympathetic to the Bulgarian Communist Party in terms of um, racism and xenophobia and, and homophobia. Um, and also in terms of uh, uh, the authoritarian myth, I say myth because the fascists are the least authoritarian people that I've ever met in my entire life. They're so ill-disciplined. They, there's absolutely no discipline at all. They just do whatever they want, whenever they want, um, which at the end of the day, I think is the only definition of actually what fascism, fascism is. It's um, actually the lack of any morals or principles and more just the um, uh, the will of the leader of the party, like whatever he or she in terms of France, but whatever they want is basically what fascism is. That's why fascism in different countries can be, can look so different between Pinochet and Hitler, for example, it's just, they just make it up as they go along. Um, so in, in that regards, that's pretty much how the Bulgarian fascists look like. The, the, the leaders just do what they want. Um, almost all of them are business owners. All of them are capitalists. Um, and the minute they get into government, they start going after their, they start going after things that are specifically in their business interest. <laughs> so there was one fascist in the fascist coalition for, he was the leader of the NFSB fascist party. And he owns a lot of hotels. And the minute he got into parliament, that's basically just what he fixated on um, laws, legislation um, that would help um, his hotel business, his hotel businesses. Um, and then, like he he went after uh, he went after clubs and bars that he saw as being detrimental to his hotels because the the music was too loud. Um, and basically, that meant that the the people who were going to the clubs and bars were not his clientele for his style of hotels. So then he he started going around personally with police, shutting down clubs and bars around around the area where his hotels were. Um, whereas other hotels, they would actually be profiting from the people who are, especially for foreigners who are going to these clubs and bars. So, um, yeah, so it's it's really complicated. Um, but 
generally, the majority of the people, the majority of the fascist parties are the leaders are businessmen. Um, they definitely go after their own business interests interests once they're there. There, there a lot of a lot of liberals in Bulgaria call them communists. A lot of them are former um, nomenklatura, which is like the Bulgarian Russian, the Bulgarian Soviet word for like um, uh, bureaucratic elite. A lot of them are bureaucratic elite um, uh, who have connections with the former state security services, and so they use this as like a, a mafia network to get their to get what they need done. Um, the VMRO party, it's nicknamed uh, MVRO party, which is a, a a joke between MVR, which is the which is Ministry of Interior, and VMRO, which is the which is the, the party name. And people combine the two abbreviations because basically the the VMRO fascist party um, has a lot of uh, former secret spies and secret police from the Bulgarian Communist Party era. So when we're talking about fascism in Bulgaria, um, we can't talk about it so much as directly coming from uh, liberalism, as in terms of as more so it's directly coming from um, the you know people um, highly ranked in the Bulgarian Communist Party. Um, not just bureaucrats, but also secret police, um, uh, secret police spies, um, um, yeah, and the you know the state security apparatus. A lot of them have um, uh, joined and formed fascist parties, and so it's like they've abandoned all the left wing principles that ever existed, um, and they've tried. They're trying to keep the authoritarian uh, principles of the Bulgarian Communist Party whilst also replicating the the liberal principles of uh you know getting rich. <laughs> so um I know you recently did a, a tour of the UK to talk about your case and your situation and hosted by a number of anti fascist groups. Um what are your plans going forward now that you're free and out? Um yeah I don't have uh, so many uh, uh, I don't have so many concrete plans because um uh, because of my immigration status, things are changing, dynamic, as people say. Um, uh, but yeah, I think right now um, the plan is um, November to November to do um, North North England and Scotland, um, and then maybe next year try and come back and um, continue to any places that I've missed or any places that um, didn't have time uh to to meet me this year uh and also head over to um uh north ireland as well maybe in uh i don't know maybe february maybe but you know everything's a maybe right now um plan i i have to just make plans kind of like on a weekly basis and uh if are you online can people follow you anywhere where's the best place to keep up with what's going on with you absolutely the best place to keep uh up to date is my facebook page which is just my name um, it's my name, Jock Paul Freeman, and then the background of the page is the red and black um, flag of the um, Bulgarian Prisoners Association, um, and also that's the best place to get in the contact with contact with me if anyone wanted to contact me is just to send me a message to my Facebook page. Um, I'm I'm also on Twitter and I'm also on Instagram, uh, and actually I signed up again uh, to Parler because I I I don't want to leave any um uh social 
media uncontested. <laughs> so I actually signed up. Like I have a I have a parlor account as well, but it's secret. Uh, so exciting! Yeah, I'm 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 with you there. All right. No, my mine's not secret at all. <laughs> it's, it's, your name. It's, it's in my name, and I, I actually I I actually I actually signed up like a month before uh, it, it got crashed, and I I just relogged in now, and I, I all my everything I posted before oh, I no. deleted. But I'm I'm back there again just in case I I don't want to I don't want to leave I don't want to let fascists get too comfortable. <laughs> you know? I like going where they live. Um, but the, absolutely the best the, the place I check the most for sure is my Facebook page. I'm not checking Twitter and Instagram so much. Thank you so much, Jock, for talking to us uh, today. Um, yeah, it was really great conversation. I yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed that, then you can go over to Patreon, where we now have a whole bunch of more premium episodes and essays and other things like that. We're also starting a book club for people who want to get more into this stuff. You can read along with us. We'll talk about it. We'll have regular Zoom calls. It'll be great fun. And on the higher tier, we'll even send you a copy of our two books when they drop. That's patreon.com slash 12 rules for what. All the support we get means a lot to us and it really does help us grow this project. And thanks a lot for listening again and I'll see you very soon. Hello and welcome to We Will Remember Freedom, a monthly podcast of anarchist fiction. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. Hello and welcome to Live Like the World is Dying, your podcast for what feels like the end times. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. Hello, and welcome to the jingle for both of my podcasts. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. You can find my podcasts wherever you get your podcasts or get them from the Channel Zero Network. Twelve rules. Twelve rules.